This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault. On today's show, we are doing our second look into the Best Picture candidates for this year's Oscars. I've been doing this since the first season of ContraZoom way back in 2016. Each episode, we looked at three or four of the nominees and the chances they have to win each of their nominations. Last episode, we covered The Banshees of Inishirin, Top Gun Maverick, and The Fablemans. On today's show, we'll be breaking down the odds that Everything Everywhere All at Once, Elvis, and Women Talking all have to win. It's pretty simple. We will label every nomination for a movie as a frontrunner, dark horse, long shot, or just happy to be there. Today is the second episode in our series, with one more coming later on. Joining me today is Paulo Bautista, host of the Oscars Death Race podcast, who was last a guest on episode 184, The Nightmare of King Dune, another Best Picture Breakdown episode. Uh, and we also have a first-time guest in John Richards, the owner of Red Carpet Rosters, a film awards fantasy league. All three of us are actually in a league together, with John and I currently engaged in a very close battle in the semifinals. But uh, welcome, both of you. How are you doing today? Oh, doing great. Um, and uh, you're going down the semifinals, by the way. Uh, so, um, no, I, I'm doing great. Yeah, uh, we're you know making our way through the Oscars death race. Uh, we have four feature-length films. Um, I'm thrilled that. Tell like a woman uh, is supposedly going to be uh, on demand, uh, so you know that uh, eliminates the uh, Oscar death race fail. So we're we're excited, but yeah, um, thank you for having me on the show. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, and and uh, if you haven't signed up for a fancy league on redcarverrosters.com, uh, do so. It's it's the most comprehensive uh, film awards fancy league on the net. Um, it's uh, if you know what fancy football is, you know what uh, red carpet rosters is. It's just instead of drafting quarterbacks and tight ends and receivers, you're drafting films, cast, and crew. Uh, so, you know, instead of a quarterback, you're maybe drafting the costume designer from uh, Babylon, Mary's Offries. Um, so uh, we progress. We uh, draft in October, and we start with the Gotham Awards nominations, and then the regular season ends on the day before Oscar nomination Tuesday. And then that's when the first uh, round of the playoffs start is on Oscar nomination Tuesday. Um, so we, uh, you know, fantasy football has head-to-head matchups. So do we. Uh, so the first uh, matchup, you know, starts with the Gotham Awards. We have nine matchups uh, for a 10-team league. Everyone plays each other head-to-head. Best records go to the playoffs. And uh, then it uh, culminates with the championship uh, on uh, Oscar night on uh, March 12th. Uh, so for every nomination win they get at all the critics awards and all the industry awards and all the guild awards and everything in between, uh, your team gets points. Um, and, uh, then, you know, if you're the best team in your league, you'll be facing off against the second best team in your league on the championship night, uh, on, on Oscar night. Very cool. And Paulo, welcome back. How are you doing today? Hey, Dakota. Hey, John. Uh, it's good to be back on the show. Um, and, you know, you know, Dakota, obviously, you've been on my my, my podcast recently as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, thanks for having me back on. Um, yeah, as far as my Oscars death face, I'm taking a little bit, uh, taking a little bit more slowly. Um, I'm, I'm right now at 24 out of, uh, um, I believe, uh, 24 uh, total films watched, all of them feature. So I think I have like 15 more features to watch and then uh, 15 more sorts. But I'm kind of pacing it out, you know, the life of a content creator. I got to make sure I have something to talk about each week. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think this coming episode that's going to come out 
uh, the day after we record this, I'm going to be talking about. I just finished all the documentaries, um, so I'll and and also um, finished up uh, with women talking as well, uh, partly with for this episode as well. Um, and then you know, I have you know plans to. I think week and after will be the uh, animated films and all the sorts. Um, and then I think I'll do like the technical awards, um, you know, like the one offs like Mrs. Harris and Bardo and so on. Um, and then kind of wrap it up uh, with. I kind of just been putting off to Leslie Blonde uh, and uh, and tell it like. A woman, of course, uh, for the very end. I always end uh, on a, on an original song uh, as a, as the final so- film I watch each year. So, uh, of course, it's got to be "Tell It Like a Woman" for that final one. Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, and me personally, I'm at 32 out of 54 of the nominated movies. Uh, I think I've got uh, nine shorts left to go. So uh, we're all we're all sort of making our way through this. We all are on track to being done. I think it's all doable. So I'm excited. Uh, now, Paulo, you had actually interviewed John on your podcast a little while ago, uh, and so it's a great interview. I'm going to link to that in the show notes, and John kind of talks about the history uh, and how we sort of came up with it, and, and Paulo, you being a data nerd, you were able to really kind of get into the nitty-gritty about like what it all means and how you put this together, which was a really fascinating listening. I really appreciate that. Uh, and I don't want to go super in-depth here because we obviously have other stuff we want to talk about, but obviously I'd love to talk a little bit more, uh, John, with you. I think this is now the, the, the second year that you've been run, running this. What have you sort of been learning as it's been going on and like how to how to shape this project this baby of yours oh sure no no that's a great question yeah so this is our second year of having a site um so the uh, last year uh when coda eventually won um we uh just my league um had a had a site used made use of the site um and uh, no one else did and so it, it worked pretty well. Um, at least, you know, it did what we needed it to do. And so I thought, well, I think other people might enjoy doing this. So I, I sent some very light feelers out, uh, to get, get a little bit more people involved. Uh, I think, uh, seven leagues are now using it, uh, this year. Uh, and, and it, it's gone off, um, with minimal hitching. Uh, so I, it, it's been great. Uh, the league in its current form, most of its current form has been in existence since October, 2018, uh, so, uh, we started then, but all we had was, uh, a read only view of like standings and starting lineups and stuff like that. So there's a lot of manual manipulation and, and the teams couldn't, uh, have full ownership of their own team. Like they had to email me who they wanted to start on a particular day oh, wow. or, or a matchup. And, and that very first league, um, we didn't have head to head matchups, um, cause the, the schedule of, uh, awards are you know some like i think it was january 12th um th- this this year that had like eight awards <laughs> on on the same day uh so so we couldn't do like a weekly matchup like you see usually in fancy baseball so we just did like uh, whoever got the most points wins mm. uh, we didn't have any playoffs no head-to-head but this one particular team my arch nemesis in every fantasy sport um he uh he and his wife did it and it was very clear, even by nom- uh, Oscar nominations, that they're going to win. They, they just, you know, mm-hmm. plowed everyone, and and on, really on the back of Ethan Hawke, who was a critic's darling for First Reformed that year, um, but sadly got snubbed for an Oscar. Um, but we thought, well, we we need to add more parity. We need to make it more fun. We need to make every team feel like they're competitive every single step of the way. Um, and so like, well, let, let's just try head to head. And we did it and, and, and it worked. Um, the same team the next year had uh, 
they were like head and shoulders first seed, but they actually got upset in the playoffs. Um, so you know, having a, a playoff structure really added drama to the season that is present in all other fantasy sports. And 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 I thought, okay, now I think we're on to something. And so I uh, developed a, a site where we could have more ownership of the team, and uh, it's it's only uh, growing from there. And and I have. Uh, Big aspirations for uh, what to expect next year. Yeah, I hope I hope next year I'm able to kind of drag in a few of my uh, Oscar friends as well, and and maybe either start my own league or something like that. I I don't know exactly if I can get enough people to do that, but uh, I love our league. We've got a very active uh, league. Uh, Jeff uh, from Classic Movies Live is also in it. Uh, so, John, I know I'm putting you on the spot right now, but are you able to give any brutally honest feedback to both Paulo and I and how we've been going this season, how we've done? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're facing each other right now, so I yes. don't know how much information I, I want to give you. Um, it's not like I can change my lineup. <laughs> um, but no, um, I, I, I think the biggest advice I can give is, you know, you, you have to – when the draft happens, you have to draft like you're predicting the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there are some Oscar nominees um, – you know, I think of Andrea Riseborough. Uh, you know, she, she's an Oscar nominee, but no one had her in the lineup on, you know, the first round of the playoffs because she barely registered anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she, she got an Independent Spirit Award nomination and I think a hand, like a couple here and there. Um, but, you know, when, when, when it gets closer to the Oscars and, and now that, you know, we're in the semifinals and the championship is the Oscars right now, the best piece of advice I can give is if you don't have an, uh, if you don't have an Oscar nominee on your team, you, you've got to get rid of them right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause they're not going to earn you any points. You know, e- even if you're stashing them and not going to start them, you're at least preventing someone else from getting them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's, it's just like with any other fantasy sport, you know, you have the draft there's going to be busts there's going to be sleepers um charlotte wells was the huge sleeper pick this year and um i think i drafted don picked up in like the 11th round i I drafted her in the 11th (laughs) round and even though she didn't get an oscar nomination she got me to the playoffs um and and so there's something to be said too uh about that because you know when you're in drafting in those late rounds um you're looking for value looking for sleeper oscar picks that you can kind of stash away and start on uh, Oscar nomination Tuesday, like Diane Warren. You know, you, you could have picked up Diane Warren on uh, matchup number three, held her on the bench, and you know she's going to get a nomination and, and get you <laughs> get you points on Oscar nomination Tuesday. And uh, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, nominations gets you to the playoffs, but wins get you the championship. And uh, yeah. so, you, so you have to balance that expectation. I think Diane Warren's going to be Jeff's uh, first round pick for next year. As she should be. I, I think she's coming for that Oscar next year. I, uh, for 80 for Brady. 80 for Brady. 80 for Brady for, for, for best yep. song. Yeah, my uh, my big money players this year have been Martin McDonough uh, because he's credited as both director and screenwriter for Banshees, uh, getting me 141 points. And then Women Talking for, for Picture, getting me 96 points. Mm-hmm. So those are my top two performers uh, and, and two that I'm pretty happy about. They're probably not going to win at the actual Oscars. One of them we're going to be talking about today. Uh, uh, but they've uh, they've done me well. Yeah, I got a. I have Brendan Fraser and Maselio for the oh, nice wow. one-two hit of actor and actress. I think those yeah. are my first two picks. Um, and then also Todd Field has been doing pretty well for me as well. Hey, those are three potential winners that you got there. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've got uh, 
one of the Daniels on my team who's been nice. a juggernaut for me, um, yeah. which is you know why we're facing each other in the semifinals. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Paulo Lasse, I kind of want to ask you: you every year you you do such a good job in depth breaking down who you think is going to get nominated, who you think is going to win. You, you're, you are a data analyst, so you're really good at crunching numbers and looking at everything in the bigger picture. I want to know this year, you and I tried to predict who the nominees were going to be, and obviously we weren't perfect, but have you sort of been able to refine your formula as far as how much to trust the numbers and other, you know, prognosticators, critics, people like that versus trusting your gut. What, it, what, what sort of balance do you try to strike when you're doing that? Yeah, so I actually did. So I post quite often on the R Oscar race subreddit. Um, and I actually recently did. It didn't get a lot of notice um, just because like, we're in the middle of Oscar season, right? So there's a lot of posts going on right now. But I, you know, I've been posting since like September or even earlier, just kind of like, hey, here are just some historical numbers, right? Like, you know, best actress tends to have an X percent correlation with, you know, a best picture, um, with, the, with the number being, you know, generally best actors tend to have a better relation, co- correlation to best picture nomination, uh, than, than best, than, um, than the uh, actresses are, uh, which actually was the inverse this case. The actresses actually were more correlated with Best Picture this year than the actors. So that's like a bit of a weird situation, right? Um, but I actually went back and kind of did like a meta analysis of my own analysis, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like the the main ones that um, that stood out to me were one, AFI and NBR are really important. I think they're really telling in terms of who um, will get nominated, particularly those who have an overlap between both AFI and NBR. Um, those are like the most telling ones i think um the other one i think that stood out to me um one another one is studio distribution so you know there's kind of like historically you can kind of get an idea of like you know this studio is going to have this many nominations right Mm -hmm. now it wasn't perfect right um part of that was in recent years you know paramount really hasn't had a nomination so you know historically you would have predicted zero nominations but now with top gun obviously they have one um that kind of came at the expense of sony you know missing out on getting completely snubbed for best pick for best picture uh meanwhile the indie nominees so kind of like neon and a24 got an extra nomination at the expense of the streamers right which kind of to be expected netflix is kind of like lowering how much they're nominating. So I think that's another kind of like trend that we're seeing. Um, Kind of the other two things I I think are the most relevant things to look at are one, film festival attendance. Um, So actually, I I was actually, when I was putting it together, I I was kind of surprised, you know, we were like, everyone kind of had written off women talking as kind of like being in the race, but it actually was just that. So it was that I think, one of the most, one of the most, uh, attended one of the most number of film festivals, thinking like the big ones. So TIFF, New York Film Festival, Telluride, um, it attended all three of those, which is more than most others. So I think that's how it was able to, you know, even though it lost a lot of momentum toward the end of the race, it still had enough from that early lead on at the film festival to stay in the race, right? Um, meanwhile, The Woman King, which a lot of people thought was going to be in the race, um, lost a lot of momentum because it appeared at only one film festival, right? Um, and, and it, it had its wide release very early on in the season. So I think those are the other things. And then the last thing is, as we talked about on my episode, Dakota, was there has to be a path to the Oscars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, majority of the time, most uh, most nominees will have at least two um you know, above the line nominations, right? So kind of going back to, you know, if you're trying to predict who's going to be best picture, you also have to look at in the, in context, which ones do you think are going to get above the line nominations, be it actor, screenplay, director, um, or, you know, you have the very technical film with at least three below the line nominations, right? So 
Elvis doesn't have a lot of above the lines, but it has multiple below the lines. Same for Top Gun, right? Same for Avatar. Um, the one this year, again, kind of messes with that is, uh, is Woman Talking, which, you know, there is about like, I think a 6% or so chance that a film with, with, um, We'll, we'll have only one above the line nomination, but no below the line nominations and get nominated. The, this year, that was uh, Woman Talking, right? Like even Triangle of Sadness, right, which was kind of out of nowhere, ended up getting the nomination because it had um, director and that and, and original screenplay, you know, uh, as it's kind of above the line path. So those are kind of like the main takeaways from doing my analysis on Oscar season for who's going to get nominated. Nice. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exciting. And I, I bet you you're gonna one day be a hundred percent on uh, who's gonna get nominated, who's gonna win, oh, because you're gonna I'm be never the next Nate Silver. On that, that's the one thing we're certain <laughs> about Oscar races. You're never going to be a hundred percent. There's always going to be something, somebody like an Andrea Riseborough or something yeah. that comes in and, and and messes things up. Yeah, it, it's very true. Yeah, but uh, you're you're gonna blow up one time because it'd be like, look at this guy who yeah. got ninety nine point nine percent of the nominations correct. Look, look, I missed, <laughs> I missed getting, I got to the playoffs and then I lost in that round because. Greg Fraser didn't make uh, cinematography, um, <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not bitter about that. Anyway, yeah, you uh, you're doing worse than I did. I uh, I came sixth place in our league, and now I'm in the semifinals. Don't know how that happened, uh, but uh, I, I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> At least that's how you know I'm an honest commissioner. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yes, you you right. are, and, and you have an honest scorekeeper too. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we have the fail safe in in, in place. All right. <laughs> All right, let's get into our topic today. We are talking about three of the Best Picture nominees. We are going to start off with Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. This film has 11 nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress for two of them, um, for both Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue, Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, Best Costume Design, and finally, Best Film Editing. Let us start with the biggie, and that is Best Picture. Now, it's funny, in the last episode, if anyone listened to it when I had Jeff and Pierre on, Every movie we talked about, when we're talking about Best Picture, we also had to couch it in, yes, but everything, everywhere, all at once. So it was hard to kind of talk about any of the nominees without also talking about everything, everywhere as well. Um, But here we are, we're going to talk about it. This is a fascinating one. Obviously, it leads the the Oscars in nominations, which is a very positive thing. It means it's got broad support across multiple categories. And as we know, everyone votes for Best Picture. So that's the way it works. But the big question is, it is a ranked ballot. Is that enough to propel everything everywhere to be the eventual winner or because it's either too weird or frankly because of the Academy's makeup, it is uh, not enough in English or or things like that or doesn't feature enough white people or whatever nonsense you want to sort of say about it. I personally have this movie as a front runner because until we see otherwise, there isn't anything that's beating this. Am I – do you sort of both – feel similar to that or is there a a different path for another movie to sort of sweep in and become the eventual best picture paulo let's start with you 
Yeah, I mean, so one, I'm very biased because if you listen to my epi- my episode with Jeff and and Pierre, you know that uh, we love this movie. Uh, I consider it. The more I think about it, the more I think it's actually the perfect best picture winner. Um, because I think for me, the best picture film is like one that really encapsulates um what it means to live in this moment i think it's and i think everything everywhere is the first film to really capture what it is to live in a post-internet world i think more so than any other film to date i can go into a whole tangent about that that's not what this episode is about um so you know to get to the you know that 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 bias aside i do think it is a front runner obviously i mean just the number of nominations kind of makes it has to be in the front runner conversation Mm -hmm. that being said i don't think it's as clear a front runner as you may think dakota so Mm. i personally have the, the the first tier right of front runners kind of like the first through third places it's a very close race i think between everything everywhere bansies and personally i think tar is actually the third really kind of like the third fill in that race okay. so i mean one tar is actually to go back to the stats tar actually swept all of the uh the, the three major film critics um the national society of film critics the la film critics and the new york film critics circles um tar won all of those it did share the la award with everything everywhere um it's one of i think only like four th- like one of four films in history to actually do that now granted those films historically only one film has actually gotten best picture afterwards um but still right like that's a very notable accomplishment at least from the critics perspective um i think tar you know getting um you know getting you know doing doing really well getting the editing nomination i think is also really good for tar's chances right we'll talk about that in a little bit um uh, for everything everywhere at least um and banshees as well right so i think you know the technical on the technical side all of three of those getting the editing nomination is a very strong correlation i think to a best picture win right mm-hmm. um now that being said also i i think tar again is a little bit more inaccessible to a lot of people um but you know i think it's still very much beloved that it, it could very much get in on like the the auteurs you know kind of kind of level um in a weird sense, Everything Everywhere is kind of like the populist nomination at this mm. point, right? I think with the Academy's push to also become a much more diverse, a much younger audience, I think Everything Everywhere has a little bit of a better chance. But again, as you know, on the ranked choice voting, the older audience will just be very weirded out by it. So probably will be knocked down, could potentially be knocked down as a result. But it will be a lot of people's number one film, I think. Yeah. Um, and then Banshee's Even Sarah is kind of like the the safe choice. I don't want to call it the, the green book. Uh, nomination, but it is kind of the one where there is like uh, it's it's going to be a lot of people's two or three, right? Maybe yeah. four, right? It's not going to be much lower than that, I think, for for most people. That's fair. What about you, John? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think it's the front runner um, right now. Bovada uh, has everything everywhere all at once. Bovada is a sports book um, that offer Oscar odds and. Uh, it's sitting at minus 260, which uh, is an implied probability of 72% of, of winning, according to their odds makers. Um, I, I would I, I'd probably have to agree with that implied probability. I, I think uh, everything everywhere all once is a front runner. It did overperform with nominations. Uh, there were some uh, uh, not necessarily surprising nominations, but the fact that, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Shu got into Best Supporting. The fact that uh, David Byrne and Mitski and Ryan Lott got nominated for Best Original Song, which was a little bit of a surprise. Um, so I, I think uh, there's definitely um, some industry love there that that it needs. Um, and the international block uh, is not an insignificant part of the the voting body, and I don't think they're going to be deterred um, from you know the 
the foreign language, uh, mm-hmm. you know, speaking Mandarin throughout, you know, a, a lot of it. Um, it, it is weird. It, you know, I, 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 that the fact that it's weird may deter, but you know, I think we're moving forward into we, we the Academy really seems to gravitate towards uh, more feel good movies that, you know, um, explore the human condition and their impact on relationships and everything over all at once is, is a case study for that as well as Coda, Nomadland and Parasite and everything, you know, before mm-hmm. that. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I don't have any hard data on this and I don't know of any metric that I can devise for this, but I will go to the grave convinced that the documentary features offer a good insight to what will win best picture. Mm. Um, the, the, the first, uh, the first year I've uh, bet on the Oscars was when moonlight won. Mm -hmm. And at that time it was paying four to one odds. um, And when I finished the documentary 13th, uh, the the wonderful Ava DuVernay, DuVernay uh, documentary, uh, something kind of clicked. As I was like, I don't think La La Land is going to win, uh, even yeah. though it's the overwhelming favorite. The documentaries that year uh, were OJ Main America. That was the eventual winner. I Am Not Your Negro, 13th, uh, Life Animated, and uh, I, I believe it was Fire of Love. But it, it was it was a uh, – uh, no, not Fire of Love. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's this year. <laughs> That's this year. Uh, yeah. Fire at Sea. Um, yes. Oh, yes, uh, the Italian yeah. one. Yeah. Yes, uh, about the Syrian crisis, yep. uh, which, which had a firm stake in documentary races, as it should. Um, and through that, I, I just really felt like the Academy uh, was ready for more – diverse stories um and 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 african-american stories to be more specific um three documentaries nominated that year were you know about the african-american experience Mm -hmm. uh, which which is you know the the motif in in uh, moonlight uh where you know that this poor young uh black kid couldn't be himself uh due to you know uh, other standards that were beyond his control uh so also that year, the Academy did a big diversity push. Um, so, so I thought, I think the Academy is ready to nominate a film like Moonlight uh, mm-hmm. for Best Picture. And then uh, Oscar night happened. Uh, La La Land was announced as the Best Picture. <laughs> and I immediately apologized to a friend that I said, hey, go bet on Moonlight to win. <laughs> and then uh, then I unsent the text because <laughs> uh, it ended up winning. But every, every year since then, um, the documentaries features really gave me a sense. And again, I have no hard data. Hindsight's 2020. That there's there's a tendency to overfit models uh, based on just feelings, but this year, um, besides all the precursors, besides you know the the eleven nominations, besides that, it's the betting favorite. The documentary features this year really aren't hyper focused on one issue like they usually are in previous yeah. years. Um, all the beauty and the bloodshed, uh, in a, a great documentary about the opioid crisis, and but you know it, it also uh, analyzes the role of art and and activism, uh, and and goes through a lot of other intersectionality uh, that that you see with the art community, including homosexuality, the AIDS epidemic, uh, and, and and eventually the opioid cri- crisis. That that that's the main focus. Uh, then you have all that breeze, uh, where you know these these kite birds are used as a metaphor for you know the the disparity in India. Uh, that the, they're you know 
they're talking about two things at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fire of Love is just quirky. It's a quirky love story that happens to be of the backdrop of uh, two volcanologists. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of the imagery in Fire of Love was reminiscent of, you know, like uh, the, the rock scenes and everything everywhere all at once. Um, and, and, and you see uh, other documents, Navalny. Um, I, I, I think, I actually think Navalny is going to win uh, and yeah. an upset um, as, as the documentary feature winner. But, you know, that's, you know, a, a quirky main character. Uh, I, I, I really think that um, the documentary features are really pointing towards uh, everything everyone wants. And I would be remiss to uh, uh, exclude a house made of splinters, uh, an absolute gut check of a documentary. That documentary would have been just as uh, successful had the uh, uh, the children's home been anywhere but Ukraine. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so you know, you're you're looking at you know uh, this uh, house full of you know children that are getting assistance, but with the backdrop of Ukraine that that you know so, so they are able to you know put those two together and and all those documentaries really lead me to believe that everything everywhere all at once is going to. Um, do the unthinkable and be a f- betting favorite and actually win best picture. All right. You heard it here. People put your money on uh, everything everywhere. And if you lose, uh, I'll give you John's email. Right, right. But I, I rarely <laughs> bet on favorites. I, 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 the line has moved. Uh, I, I, I caught it when it was at minus 150. Um, minus 260 is a little too steep for me. But going back to Tar, um, I, I, I think Tar might might be a surprising pick. Um, it's right now paying 33 to one and 33 to one. I, I, I would, I would take that. I, I would throw a, a, a couple bucks there. Um, because I, I think tar really resonates, especially with, uh, Academy members. Um, yeah. So, well, that's, well, that's we really interesting. I, I really like your theory there about the documentary and I feel like I have long, had similar thoughts, but never was able to concretely put it together. And I feel like I've been fairly successful in predicting documentary winners based on not how the documentary has been performing, but rather based on what the social issue behind the documentary is and how the world is seeing it. And I too think Navalny is probably the front runner because it winning would basically be the Academy giving a middle finger to Putin specifically. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, um, let's move on. Uh, that, was, that was a lot talking about there about uh, its best picture odds. Uh, and we all sort of agree that it's the front runner with a, with a very, very, very tiny asterisk there. Um, but yes, moving on to best director for the Daniels. Uh, John, you said you have one of the Daniels on your, your, your fantasy team. So I'm, I don't know if it, it's Quan or Shinert. Uh, but uh, we get to an interesting thing. Every once in a while, the Academy likes to split up who they give best picture to and who they give best director to. And now it's not something that happens every single year. And, and Paulo, I'm sure you could probably uh, give better numbers of, to where it's happening. But I feel like it happens a little bit more often in the last, you know, 15 or so, 15 to 20 years, where it's a more of a regular occurrence. Do you believe that if Everything Everywhere wins best picture – they will also win Best Director, or will they split it with another film and and maybe give it to Todd Field, Steven Spielberg, or one of the other nominees? I personally still believe, despite the fact that that might happen, that the Daniels are the front runners. But do we think that this could happen, Paulo? Yeah, I think that the director race is super close, right? Um, obviously, if you are of the belief that Tar could kind of like pull off that minor upset right with the the small aspects we talked about um that would be a good case for todd field i think to get in there um 
and then you can also have the narrative of you know it's kind of like the Spielberg Legacy Award, right, for his work in Fablemans. Um, you know, I I mean, it's hard to really say like. I, I don't have the numbers. I, I actually don't have the numbers up in front of me, or like the, the correlation between the two, unfortunately. But, you know, I mean, the, the, the tricky part for me is, you know, again, maybe spoiling like my discussion for the rest. Looking at like the what I think Everything Everywhere has like a realistic chance to win, like, sure, they'll win picture, right? I think they're going to win picture, right? But I'm maybe on director, maybe on actress. And the only one that's like really set for me, I think, is, is supporting actor, right? So it's like, when was the last time we had like a uh, best picture winner where the only like locked num like the locked win was supporting actor, right? Like it's kind of weird. It's like, you know, this 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 does everything everywhere need another win in like directing or maybe screenplay or something to really solidify its best picture status? Um, maybe, right? And that might be a case where like, you know, kind of like when the Parasite Year happened, like once Bong Joon Ho started getting nominations for the screenplay for direct like wins for screenplay directing, like you people were really realizing oh, it's probably going to win best picture at the end of the night, right? When that, when, when those kind of things kind of came together. Um, and it's kind of weird to think about like, will everything everywhere win without a director or, or, uh, or, or screenplay nomination, right? Um, I mean, I have them as a front runner, right? I think they're definitely one of the main, main contenders. Otherwise, I would say Spielberg is probably the other real one. Um, cause I think honestly, that's kind of like the only spot where, where Fablements will get a recognition would be, um, in director, I think. Okay. What about you, John? Yeah, no, I, I agree that Daniels are, are the front runner here. Um, if Steven Spielberg hadn't have won so many Oscars before, I I, I would want to maybe predict him to get that legacy um, win. But I, I think it's Daniels' turn um, to, to get a best director. The, the others, uh, I, I'm thrilled that Ruben Usland got... Uh, uh, a nomination because triangle of sadness is, it's just so good. Um, but, uh, he, he, he's just happy to be there. Um, but yeah. the Daniels, uh, they're, they're the front runner and, uh, tar did overperform. Todd field also got a, a screenplay, but also got nominated for, you know, like best cinematography and does have that editing nomination. Uh, but, but I think Todd field is still a dark horse. Um, and, and Martin McDonough, uh, also has a strong play, uh, but I, I think the Banshees of Inna Sharon, uh, it, it, it's too small scale of a film to yeah. uh, get that director win. I, I think, uh, um, you know, the, the, this year the theme is, you know, we saw Steven Spielberg talk to Tom Cruise saying that how Top Gun, you know, saved movies. I think yeah. we're we're looking at a, a best director win this year for a movie that really uh, goes all out and pulls out all the stops, and and the only one. There is Daniels, with the exception of Steven Spielberg, because he always pulls out all the stops. But um, I, I think Daniels goes with this, goes uh, best director on this one. Okay, good to know. All right, let's move on to best actress in a very competitive race. We, we've been talking about Tar a lot today, and even though it's not on the, the docket for today's episode, that's the next one. Uh, Michelle Yeoh versus Kate Blanchett. I personally believe they're both front runners, and I, at this time, cannot say which one is the favorite to go. John, do you, are you leaning one way or another right now, or yeah. is it still a coin flip? I, I am. Um, so Michelle Yeoh is the second favorite um, uh, on Bovada. She's uh, going plus 120, uh, and Kate Blanchett is like minus 175 or something like that. Um, so, so Kate Blanchett is the technical favorite, but I, I think it's Michelle Yeoh's race. Um, now 
the reason why I say that is because for one thing, she does a remarkable uh, performance. Um, this is a long overdue nomination for Michelle Yeoh. And, uh, but, you know, at the same time, Kate Blanchett's speech at, I believe it was the Critics' Choice Awards, kind of, you know, downplaying uh, awards in general. I, I don't know if that would have left a sour taste in people's mouths. Um, uh, but it, if it's not going to be Michelle Yeoh, it, it's going to be Kate Blanchett. And the fact that Danielle Deadweiler and uh, Viola Davis were snubbed um, to save face a little bit, the Academy might, uh, you know, break the tie of, of going uh, with nominating a person of color and would be the first uh, actress of Asian descent to win uh, Best Actress. Paulo? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of going along that, right? I think if you look at the voting block, kind of like within the, you know, it's, it's everyone votes for, for Best Actress, right? Um, and so I think what happened, what's going to happen is that, you know, with the Andrew Riseborough and, you know, to a lesser degree, Anna de Armas and also Michelle Williams coming in, right? I think people who would have voted for, you know, Viola Davis or Daniel Deadweiler, you know, who, who you know, the actors who prior, who want to like uplift, um, you know, women of color, right? Trying to get them, trying to, to recognize them. Um, Kind of like without, you know, without Davis or Deadweiler, kind of their votes are going to flow, I think, toward Michelle Yeoh. Um, uh, I think Kate Plantet, uh recently I posted in the Discord, maybe have said some some things about like, I don't believe in labels, uh, which would definitely not endear her to, to certain uh, more progressive elements of the Academy, I think. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's also, you, you have to realize, right, if, if Blanchett were to get her third uh, Oscar uh, win here, um, she'd be one of like seven people, right? She'd be the seventh person ever to get three Oscar nominate, th- three Oscar wins. Um, only one person, Catherine Hepburn, you know, has gotten four, right? So this will be a monumental win for her. Now, not that to say she didn't deserve it, right? I think personally, right? I think I, 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 for my personal take, I think that you know, honestly, I think Kate Blanchett had the more better technical performance, but. For what I, the reason I, I say would say Yo should win, right, um, is because I think she had more heart in the performance. I think, right, as much as you can quantify it, one or the other, you know, maybe one has a more technical performance, but one, you know, you can resonate with more. I think again, kind of like with uh, what John was saying, right, like everything everywhere is like the film about like how you feel, basically, um, and and kind of like that, that quirky element to it, right. Um, I think Michelle Yo really will bring that for the Academy voters, and again, it's 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 kind of like that narrative of a long overdue recognition, um, for her, right. So, and I and I think honestly, if she does get Best Actress alongside, you know, who we'll talk about next uh, for supporting actor, that might be enough, maybe even without a director or a uh, or a screenplay nomination to justify the Best Picture win. I think at the end of the day. Interesting. Uh, as a big uh, hockey guy, and I, I do play fancy hockey, not football, uh, Paulo, I'd be very interested to know about Michelle Yeoh's heart per 60. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe just because I'm Asian-American, but it just felt – it definitely felt like a very – much more personal film, right? I Obviously, not to say that, you know, Kate Bounce didn't put everything she had into the role, but I think, like, Michelle – like, I mean, they used footage from the Crazy Rich Asians premiere in the film, basically, <laughs> right? So, it's like, it's a film built around Michelle Yeoh and, yeah. and just, like, what it means for – you know, part of it was literally like I don't know. I it's it, it, I get very irrational and and rambly when I start talking about everything everywhere, which I don't think you want for the podcast. But I mean, yeah, it it, it I I think I think it, it's it, it's much more feel more than a objective lens. I think uh, on why I think she's to win. Very true. All right, let's move on to best supporting actor. We've got Ki Hoi Kwan, and uh, I think out of 
basically all 24 of the categories, 23 of the categories, this is probably the uh, locus of locks uh, throughout all of them. Uh, I don't see any way that Quan doesn't win this award. His competition of, of Brendan Gleeson, Brian Tyree, Henry, Judd Hirsch, and Barry Keegan just don't stack up to the way Quan has been winning award after award after award. And also, he has a bit of a advantage, along with maybe I would say uh, Brendan Gleeson, of having a lot of screen time. That is a very large supporting role for him. But uh, but yeah, my money, the safest bet out of everything is Quan winning Best Supporting Actor. And I think it's been a long time a long road of anointing him this entire award season where it seems like every week we're seeing another incredible speech from him and everyone's sort of excitement for him as well. Paulo, do you sort of agree that this is an absolute no contest, a hundred percent money in the bank? Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would push back on what you just said is that I think, I, I don't know, John, do you have the numbers for what avatars odds are in, uh, in, in visual effects? Um, that might be like the other race that might be like more, like as locked as, as Kehoe Kwan. But even then, yeah, I mean, it's, he's definitely up there in terms of like the, the competition. Um, yeah, it's Kehoe Kwan's to lose at this point. No, I, I I fully agree. Uh, it, it if it's one of three locks, um, and it's it's rare that one of the lockiest categories is an acting category. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, th- th- this is Kiyokuan's, uh, uh Oscar to lose. Um, yeah, the, the only other two locks are all quiet on the Western Front for international and uh, Avatar for visual effects. Yeah, I mean it's going to be one of the top three moments of the Oscar of the of Oscar night. Um, the other one uh, for sure being uh, the live performance of not to not to on stage. On <laughs> um, and then the other, maybe hopefully being Michelle Yeoh winning best actress and giving her a speech. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Okay. So now we've got a double nominee. Uh, we did this last week with Banshees of Anna Sharon and we're back now with everything everywhere all at once. We've got two supporting actress nominees. We've got Jamie Lee Curtis, the veteran versus Stephanie Hsu, uh, the newcomer to the category. And it's rounded out by Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow for The Whale, and Carrie Condon for Banshees of Anna Sharon. Now, unlike Best Supporting Actor, where despite the fact that I believe Quan is going to be the winner, I don't think Keegan is going to be siphoning votes away from Brendan Gleeson at all. Brendan Gleeson is not going to lose because of Keegan, whereas I think Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Hsu are going to cannibalize each other, and in the end, you have two very separate distinctive wings that are going to be voting for them, and I think that's really going to hurt both of their odds and allow either Angela Bassett or Carrie Condon to to come through and win. Am I off the mark in this, or do you think that there is maybe uh, a coalescing behind one of the two at the moment? John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, Angela Bassett's the favorite, but I I would not be surprised one bit if Jamie Lee Curtis wins. Um, I, I I there have been instances where and in a, a movie has sent two acting. Uh, nominees where one of them has won. Um, we only have to look. Uh, not, we don't have to look very far back to, to, to see that you know happening with uh, you know Daniel Kaluuya. Um, so I I don't think um, the splitting of votes is going to be as there. And Jamie Lee Curtis is is a scene is a scene stealer uh, mm-hmm. in, in all of it. Um, now, if I was a voter, I, I'd probably you know put my vote to Stephanie Shu, but. 
uh, you know, the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis seems to be such a cheerleader for the movie. Uh, she's an industry vet. She has a lot of respect um, uh, along, among the Academy. I wouldn't be surprised if her name is called. Uh, but I, I, I will admit that I, I do think you're right that we will probably see Angela Bassett or uh, Carrie Condon as uh, name called. But um, I, I would put Jamie Lee Curtis in in in, in the, that third spot. Interesting. Hello? Yeah. I mean, I think both of them were more or less long slots. I do think th- there was probably some candidalization that kind of goes back week by week, right, on who's in the lead between the two, right? I think like one week you have a New York Times article or Stephen Colbert interview with Stephanie Sue that, you know, has her being, you know, uh, you know, oh, she's the new, she's the new face or whatever, right? She's, she's up and coming basically. And then another week you have Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, some video of her from some awards. So gussing about the gussing on the red carpet, gussing about, you know, her, her, um, her supporters and, you know, people talking about, oh, she's actually not new. I personally, I I personally found her role probably like the fourth, fourth or fifth best role in the in the in the entire ensemble. Basically, um, even at times James Hong, I found gave a little bit more. Um, that's me personally. Um, but you know, I mean, there's definitely been certain conversations. Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis is actually that good, basically, right? Um, though at the end of the day, right? I think again, it's a top, it's a it's a Angela Bassett slight lead over Carrie Condon. I think Angela Bassett would end up being the uh, the kind of current populist favorite vote. But if there was like any sort of backlash against, you know, is her role really that good? It's like a Marvel movie or whatever. Then I think Carrie Condon kind of comes in and sweeps as like the the more technical favorite. Because and, and frankly, I think. Uh, Personally, I would actually vote for Carrie Condon as a, as um as my vote for the for the category. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I, Stephanie I Sue also, but I also think I think Carrie Condon gave a really really good performance as well. So uh, it's hard to pick between those two for me. Yeah, yeah the the Marvel bias is real, um, and and that only hurts Angela Bassett. And you know, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever was a pretty terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh come Despite on. It. <laughs> I I am in the minority of cinephiles that I like those superhero movies, but oh, I do too. I love the first one. <laughs> the first one is probably top one or two Marvel movies for me. Uh, but this one just oh missed the mark. I mean, I will say it was a movie of all time. Um, I, don't think it, I don't think it was. I don't think it was egregiously bad. But I also think it, there was definitely a lot of, of of points that could have been better. And admittedly, Angela Bassett I think was one of the brighter points in the entire. Yes. Film. That is true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I much like you, Paulo, have both of them as long shots just because I really do feel that there's going to be a cannibal- cannibalization of the votes because it's just two very distinct groups of people that will be voting for each of them. Uh, the older industry vets are probably going behind Curtis and uh, the, the, the younger members or maybe people of color are probably going behind Stephanie Shu, um, and they're not overlapping very much. So it, it's it's going to be tough, and that's going to sort of allow one of the other ones to maybe pull through. But let's move on. We've got Best Original Screenplay by the Daniels. And uh, this is a bit of a, a tricky one for me. I want to call this the front runner, but this is a very stacked category where all five of these movies are Best Picture nominees. You've got Banshees of Inishirin, The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness as its competition. But uh, but yeah, wow! I like I I just don't know how to look at this because sometimes every once in a while I call it the Pulp Fiction rule where they award a movie the screenplay win in not Best Picture and that's sort of the hey you are actually the most bold the most innovative the most daring the actual best movie of the year but we're not going to give you Best Picture. Uh, 
does Everything Everywhere sort of get that and lose Best Picture? Does it win this award and win Best Picture? I don't really know. I'm, I'm still undecided. I want, I'm calling this a front runner, but it is a very soft front runner because the other four movies are basically right up there neck and neck with it. What did Coda win again last year aside from Best Picture? Did it win, did it win the screenplay not the screenplay uh, award? No, it, it was a supporting actor for supporting Troy Kotzer, and that's it. So, I mean, yeah. hey, maybe that, that answers my question I had earlier. Has there ever been the Best Picture winner who didn't have director or, or screenplay? And, hey, Coda last year so that everything everywhere could maybe pull that off again two years in a row. Um, I mean, I would not be surprised if we have a split between picture, director, and screenplay. Um, picture everything everywhere, director Spielberg for the legacy. Um, and then I think screenplay, honestly, could I would put between Bansies or Tar, actually, um, if only because I think that's, again, the most likely place for them to get nominated or win, aside from, of course, Kate Blanchett maybe winning w- winning actress, right? Um, so mm-hmm. for that reason, I would probably put Bansies as like my front runner here. And... Honestly, like that that's it's as weird as it is to say, everything everywhere could be uh could be a dark horse in the situation for me, right? I mean it's a really good script. I love I mm-hmm. love the screenplay. Um, but I think the real strength of of uh Bansies is the uh screenplay and the acting, yeah. right? And yeah. it's not gonna get an acting award, except maybe Colin Farrell for for lead actor, but that's a really tight race. I think this is where the Academy will really try to go into award bansies and make sure it gets something at the end of the, at mm-hmm. the end of the night. I, I agree with you. And that's sort of where I'm thinking of like, maybe the, the quote unquote Pulp Fiction award goes to, to Banshees or something like that. Um, John, what about you? No, I, I agree. Um, the Banshees of Inish Sharon is, is, is the front runner here. Um, and I would be surprised if any other, uh, film gets original screenplay. Uh, Daniels for everything I wrote all at once. Uh, I think it's in second place there. Um, but I, yeah, this is the Banshee's been sharing for Martin McDonough. Now, is this a strong second or a weak second for everything? I, I think it's a weak second to be, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, the, the banter, the, you know, the best screenplay usually goes to, you know, the most flowery language, mm-hmm. um, and, and not necessarily the story. Uh, so I, I think for that breaks the tie is the, the Banshees of Inish Sharon would, will, uh, uh, be helped by the, 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 the quirky, uh, dialogue. Yeah. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'd be curious to see the winners of screenplay categories that, uh, are not, I don't want to say predominantly in English because everything everywhere is predominantly in English, but does the language barrier uh, help or hinder at all? Um, Obviously not a lot of movies in recent years do get a nomination in the screenplay category if they're not majority, mostly in English, but uh, that's sort of something to be aware of, not necessarily uh, be against or for, but just to be aware of. I feel like we've gotten past the point where where like it needs to be in English, especially since mm-hmm. I think we're just so much more used to like watching stuff in subtitled, right? So I think that probably doesn't have as much of an impact nowadays as it did as it as it used to, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on. We've got best original score by Sun Lux. Uh, John, you kind of prefaced this at the beginning when we were talking about it, but this is a very strong, just happy to be there for me. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very nice score, but it's got some incredibly fierce competition with some really great scores overall. Um, 
so yeah, I it's up against All Quiet on the Western Front, which I absolutely adored the uniqueness of that Babylon, which is just full on bombast. Banshees of Anshiran, which is very interesting, sort of like quiet, but like gets under your skin score. And then the Fablemans, you've got the John Williams factor. Um, this is a stacked stacked category and one that i'm happy with all five of the nominees but uh sun lux is just you know get nice and drunk that night and enjoy the award show because you're just happy to be there buddy yeah yeah i, I agree sun lux is the fifth nominee here um and it, justin Hurwitz with babylon's gonna win this one yeah, mm. I I think the same. I think you know most people. I think myself included were predicting and Alexander Desplat uh, for for Pinocchio would have been the fifth nomination here. Um, so the fact that you know everything ever got nominated at all is it's just happy. It's the definition of just happy to be there. Yeah, it sort of seems like this was one of the nominations that uh, the the branches sort of got swept up in. Like, hey, let's give all of our love to one movie, in which sort of helps it for its best picture sort of conversation because it means that you know the composer branch likes this movie. Um, maybe not necessarily just the score. You have to wonder with some of these voters when they're voting on specific branches: are they voting for the award or are they voting for the movie? Which is something we'll never really know uh, unless we get you know, a widespread uh, dissertation breakdown on all the different branches and how they vote by and large, you know, because uh, you get people like Dennis Leary, who's a voter who just votes for uh, the most attractive woman, right. uh, who he's been very <laughs> honest about over the years of doing. Um, but yeah. Um, moving on, continuing the music thing, we've got Best Original Song, uh, written by Ryan Lott, David Byrne, the frontman of The Talking Heads, and Mitski for This Is A Life. And much like the the song, the score category, I think this is just happy to be there because this is Diane Warren's year. We all know that, right, guys? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Paulo, Paulo uh, prefaced it when he was talking about uh, exciting moments of uh, the ceremony this year, and that's going to be the performance of Not Too Not Too from RRR, and it's probably going to be the winner. Um, but Paulo, how do you feel about um, This Is A Life? Yeah, similar. Similarly, right. I think the Pinocchio, uh, the Pinocchio song "Sao Papa" was the one that was everyone was expecting. So the fact that this made it in over that again, literally just happy to be there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David Byrne got that nomination, um, but I, I don't think his uh, name recognition and respect is is enough to uh, get ahead of two songs. I think it really is a two horse race. Um, I think Not to Not to is going to end up winning, but don't be surprised if. Uh, Rihanna gets up there and, and, and accepts Especially the award after for Super Bowl performance. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was her Oscar campaign was the halftime, <laughs> uh, halftime performance. Um, but I, I think hold my hand. I, I think that uh, the song is too generic. Um, Diane Warren. It would be the dark horse probably just because of the Lady Gaga yeah. name, but yeah. 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 yeah so mm-hmm. I, yeah, if I had to rank them uh, not to not to first, but this is a life is fifth. Yeah, uh, probably tied with um, uh, the Tell It Like a Woman song. I'm blanking on the name. Honestly, Tell It Like a Woman probably has a better chance just because people might just be like, all right, we'll just give it to Diane Warren so she stops trying to get nominated. No, (laughs) please. (laughs) End this nightmare now. Uh, All right, let's move on to Best Costume Design for Shirley Carrada, who has uh, been in my fantasy uh, team this year and uh, done decently for me. Mm -hmm. But uh, despite the fact that I really love the costumes in this film, I think they're really creative and innovative. The fact that you've got literally uh hundreds of alternate dimensions which means all the characters get to dress up in, in some pretty cool and in crazy costumes 
it seems like it's uh it's a far way behind on on basically all four of the other categories, the other nominees. Uh, I, I'm calling it a long shot just because I think it might get swept up with the rest of uh, the the categories and, and maybe could pull off a bit of an upset. But it, but really, it's not. It's probably number four for me in, in likelihood. Uh, John, what about you? Yeah, I, I would maybe even go so far as putting it fifth um, for, you know, happy to be there. Uh the, the other nominees either have name recognition or, or have the benefit of being a period piece. Um, mm-hmm. And Ruthie Carter already won for black Panther. I, I think a lot of Oscar voters, I, she's the favorite right now um, according to betting favorites. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't think she's going to win this time around. Uh, Cause yeah, I think same. too many Oscar voters are going to say, well, we've already seen these costumes, even though a lot of them are new anyway, but, but mm-hmm. the, the, they're going to say, Oh, we've seen these costumes. So that leaves, uh, Elvis and, and Babylon, Babylon, Mary's offerings and Elvis, uh, Catherine Martin. Um, I, I, I'm not too convinced on either one of them. Um, but if you look at a period film that is actually about fashion, that's Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Uh, mm. I, and Jenny Beaven is a is a well known name in the costume industry. Yeah, she is a perennial Oscar nominee, um, and I I would not be surprised one bit if uh, everyone is shocked with a Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris uh, Oscar win. <laughs> she's the Diane Warren of costumes. Right, right. Uh, yeah, wow, let's, let's not insult her too much here now. <laughs> oh come on. <laughs> but no, I I I I mean it's it's literally about a dress and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it, it doesn't have, dresses. yeah, it doesn't have any other nominations. So that definitely hurts its stock. You know, it's not like yeah. a phantom thread nomination for Mark Bridges. That was also nominated for best picture. So Mark Bridges was like a shoe in for best costume design that year. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a period piece. It's a delightful movie. Um, it's got like a 95% around tomatoes. Uh, I, I, I would not be surprised one bit. In fact, if, if I'm going to try to win my Oscar pool on picking a, a against the grain pick to, to win it, I'm, I'm going to put in Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris in, in that as, as my uh, no guts, no glory pick. Wow. Okay. Paulo? I mean, when I did it, No Guts, No Glory, I thought it was, this is an, I, I thought it would be Park Chan Wook in my fantasy league. And that was the Oscar nomination day. Um, I actually, we'll talk about my, my, my pick, Elvis, a little bit later. We'll talk, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, save that. But bit, yeah. I, I'll, I'll just put Sony Karadas, just happy to be there. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Uh, and then our last category is best film editing. And, and there's a lot that goes along with this where – in order to win Best Picture, you need to be nominated for Best Film Editing. You don't need to win it, but you need to at least be nominated. So Everything Everywhere has that in its favor. That said, this movie works because of its editing. You know, we, we've seen stuff like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which treads very similar ground as far as uh, intersecting worlds and, and things like that, um, but far less successfully. But that's a whole host of other issues. But yeah, this movie works as well as it does because you can always understand what world you're in, how this is all sort of coming together, where everyone is in their timeline, what they're feeling, all this sort of stuff that is required for for strong editing. And uh, and it also has the, the added bonus of editing you need to – good editing in a film – lets you feel the emotions you know a suspenseful movie will have really good editing and it's not going to uh, reveal itself too early uh, a romantic film needs to make sure you're getting the right angles and the right takes so that way you slowly build up the relationship and everything everywhere because you know it is a multi-hyphenate genre film 
does this really strongly. And, and for that, I'm putting it as a front runner for me. John, what about you? Um, a weak front runner. Uh, okay. I actually, uh, Eddie Hamilton with Top Gun Maverick, I think it, it, it's, uh, his name will be called, um, just, just for, you know, the sheer amount of editing that had to make that movie work. Uh, I do agree w- with everything that you said. And, and, uh, if I was a voter, I'd, I'd definitely be voting for Paul Rogers for everything, everywhere all at once. But I, I think this is Eddie Hamilton's statuette. So I'm going to go against the grain. Despite how much I love the editing, despite how much I love everything everywhere, I think it's a long shot to win, actually. And for one simple reason, oh. um, historically, editing and sound are 100% locked uh, um, for for nominations. Even back when when they back had two sound categories, um, at least one of the sound categories would go to the winner of editing. Um, everything everywhere is not nominated for sound. So it's yep. going. The winner is going to be either Top Gun Maverick or Elvis for editing. Um, Top Gun oh, Maverick, obviously, right. because you know it's going. It's probably going to win sound because people like playing wooses, right? Um, <laughs> but I mean, also the fact, like like you mentioned, John, just the sheer amount of editing of that you know uniquely shot footage, which again they sort of been nominated for cinematography. That's a different conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, Top Gun Maverick's going to win. Elvis would be the second choice, kind of along the Bohemian Rhapsody route, where. People were saying, how the heck did Bohemian Rhapsody like get an editing nomination, <laughs> even though it was such a poorly edited film? I mean, there were so many problems on Bohemian Rhapsody that the fact they were able to edit together a cohesive film in some form or another, and just the sheer amount of editing going on, I think is a similar thing with this Baz Luhrmann film. There's just so much editing going on in Elvis that that's going to get get it the be the second place there. So everything everywhere will be uh, my sec my my kind of like my. I don't know, honestly, even third or fourth choice, right? I think Tar's editing, especially within the editing community, is really well-received. Honestly, I will just say that these five films are my top five picks for Best Picture, um, even above, like, The Fablements and All Quiet and so on. So these are the five, I think, uh, the five first films uh, in my ranking for Best Picture. Interesting. Okay. Wow. This is a, this is going to be a bit of a spicy episode um, for, for people who are trying to make some picks of either win their, their office pool oh, or no, the, some the editing down. sound thing is very well known. That's like one of the yeah. first cuts I ever discuss, stumbled upon. So if you think Top Gun is going to win sound, you have to put it down for, for winning editing. Okay. Uh, so to wrap up this category, I sort of am looking at five to six wins for everything everywhere, uh, with, you know, probably its floor being four wins and its ceiling being six or seven, but five or six is what I'm sort of narrowing down on. Uh, Apollo, do you have an idea of how many you think it's going to win? I mean, my floor is two, uh, picture and supporting actor. Um, again, that's the absolute, that's the absolute floor, right? It could go as high as picture. Maybe it gets director, maybe it gets screenplay, maybe it gets actress, and then supporting actor, that would be five that would get, basically, right? So okay. two to five. Five is the ceiling, I think. Um, two is the absolute minimum. So somewhere in between there, if it's able to sneak a sneak a, um, a screenplay win or sneak a actress win, well, hopefully get the actress win or sneak a director win, right? So realistically, mm-hmm. I would say probably three. Um, but you know, four or five would be, would be definitely it's winning Best Picture for sure at that point. Okay. John? I'm setting the over-under at four and a half. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think it goes away with four, though. Okay. Yeah. And again, this is coming from the person who loves everything everywhere, like unreasonably so. Um, I don't know. Just <laughs> put, looking at the entire ecosystem, I think, again, I think the director will probably go to Spielberg. Uh, screenplay probably goes to Bansies. Um, and then, you know, it's a very tight race for actress, right? So that's, that's kind of my logic there. Interesting. Okay, cool. Let's move on now to our next movie, and that is Elvis. 
This film has eight nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Austin Butler, Best Production Design, Best Cinematography, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound. Now, obviously, we have uh, talked about most of the categories and everything everywhere, so uh, when we're repeating categories, we are going to try to keep this a little bit briefly, briefer. Uh, but yeah, let's start with uh, with Best Picture and... Uh, this is a, a real, real long shot for me, and I don't know if it's just because I really didn't like this movie or what, um, but I probably have it in the if if I if I'm gonna be uh, level headed, probably in the uh, five to six range. Personally, obviously, it's at the very bottom for me, just ahead of Avatar two. Um, but yeah, it's it's probably de- it's it's not in the dark horse. It doesn't really have a shot, but it's in the long shot range for me. Um, Paulo, what about you? It's a dark horse. Um, if if one through three of the front runners again, everything everywhere, Bansi, Centaur, Top Gun, and Elvis are my uh, are my four and five. Right now, I go back and forth whether it's number four or number five. Right, obviously, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg recently telling Tom Cruise you save cinema maybe puts Top Gun back up at number four. But hey, Elvis made a ton of money at the box office. It was mm-hmm. it's like you know one. I, I also you know aside from the Oscars podcast, I do a box office podcast where I analyze box office numbers. And one trend we've seen lately is that you know. Older people catnip type movies are do are very well received and, and actually get people back out to the theater. So in addition to Elvis, right? You know, last year you had uh, Ticket to Paradise uh, doing surprisingly well, right? Um, a Man Called Otto, kind of like over Oscar season, didn't get an Oscar nomination, but that did pretty well at the at the multiplex. And then most recently, Eddie for Brady has been, you know, you know, even though it opened less than Knock at the Cabin from M Night Shyamalan, has been kind of doing better consistently week over week than Knock at the Cabin, right? So that's another old person movie, right? So I think Elvis kind of captures that older Oscar uh, category. Uh, and hey, maybe somebody who's like not into like, you know, Top Gun for whatever reason will be like, well, at least, you know, Baz Luhrmann, previous, you know, all, all that fight might actually put it a little bit higher. So as high as four probably, but probably no higher than that. Okay. John? Oh, God forbid it wins Best Picture. Um, <laughs> I, admittedly, I'm biased because I love to hate musical bio, biopics, um, but I love parody biopics uh, for 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 that for the reason why, I, uh, for the simple fact that I just hate music biopics. Um, but that that aside, I'll try not to let that bias tarnish uh, <laughs> tarnish my predictions. But th- this is a long shot. Um, uh, th- there's just too many films ahead of it. Um, I. If Elvis wins on a preferential ballot, I, I would really question everything about my life. <laughs> hey, you I are mean, uh, you're not alone. I, I the thing is with the preferential ballot, I don't think it's going to be like nine or ten or lower, right? I think it's going to be yes. in like the four to five range for a lot of people. Now, granted, sure. I think Banshees will be on average ranked higher, so Banshees will probably win for like the like the not very loved but not very hated mm-hmm. film. So I think Elvis is kind of like in that middle sweet spot um, where it could you know. Dark Horse. I think the one thing to sort of think about as far as the preferential ballot goes is what types of, of people are voting for Elvis. And, I, and obviously I don't mean the actual, you know, their their age, race, gender, sexuality, things like that. But like what similar movies are they probably grouping together? Because, if, you know, if, if I show you my ranking of 1 to 10 of, of how I would vote, you can sort of discern what things I'm considering important. Who is 
who is putting Elvis high up? Either number one, number two, number three. What it's other movie are they catnip. voting for? <laughs> yes. Um, but like looking at like what other movie d- sort of does it have similar? Maybe Fablemans would be like the, the overlap of, of people that are putting both of them high. That's about all I can maybe think other than maybe Top Gun Maverick. Um, but yeah, th- th- this sort of is on an island of itself for the most part. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Best Actor. And uh, it's always sort of looked like it was going to be either Colin Farrell or, or, or Brendan Fraser to, to win the Best Actor Award. And yet, for some reason, Austin Butler keeps sticking around. And obviously, I really don't think he's going to win. But, like, he's making the race sort of interesting enough by his presence alone. And, and, and I don't know really what that says. Some people, I think, are are wanting him to win because... He does such a great job in such a terrible movie, and, and I will concede, as much as I, I dislike this movie, he was amazing in it, but is that enough for him to sort of uh, join the group of two and make the race really interesting? I don't think so. I think he's a dark horse, but he's a really strong dark horse for me. John, let's start with you and your thoughts on on Austin. Yeah, it's a three-horse race, but he's the third horse. Uh, mm-hmm. it, this is between uh, Brendan Fraser and uh, Colin Farrell, and, and, and Austin Butler... Uh, the, the only thing he has going for him is that he's playing a real person. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has he just permanently adopted a Elvis accent? Uh, the, the, <laughs> the Dune 2 filmmakers say no, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like Academy voters uh, will get a little tired of that. And, and, you know, he's a newcomer. He doesn't have the beneficial uh, benefit of even being a Bill Nye, um, who's been at it for a really long time. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I would, I would say a dark horse. I mean, when, when the movie first came out, right, like a ton of people, I think like Brad Pitt, um, and other people were like, oh, this guy's like the the real deal. Right. So maybe within the Academy, there's a little bit more support than we, than we realize. Um, that said, I do think he is, he is probably a dark horse, but I think it's probably like, while he is the third, ho- the third horse, it's very, very close. Like maybe, maybe not neck and neck, but like maybe like, you know, a head behind or something like that. So I could very well see again, old person catnip people who really liked, really liked Elvis will probably put him number one. Yeah, I know uh, Rachel, my co-host, probably has him as number one, and and that's just because she's uh, obsessed with Elvis right now in general. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to sort of see where where he sort of shakes out. Do you think that if Elvis was a better movie, he would have a stronger chance? Assuming his performance is exactly the same, but you know, the movie itself was just better received, things like that. The movie was uh, really well received. Contention? I know, like in cinephiles, it wasn't. I I will say from the populist perspective, I think it was actually better received than you two think. Um, I do think mm. actually the fact that Brendan Fraser did not get uh, the whale did not get a best picture uh, nomination probably hurts Brendan Fraser right and so honestly could probably justify putting Austin Butler up in the number two spot if you really wanted to, to think about it that way right um, now I haven't seen the whale yet so I can't really comment uh, either way um, but yeah I mean I, I think I think I would I will go to bat for Austin Butler and say he's a lot closer than you guys think. Yeah, I mean uh, Rami Malek with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean he he was more yeah. of a front runner already, um, mm-hmm. but we, he was a relative newcomer and in another music bi- biopic that I love to hate. Uh, <laughs> so you know you, you may be onto something, but I I'll still hold firm saying he's a dark horse. 
Okay. Uh, let's move on to best production design. We did not talk about this and everything everywhere all at once, so there is a, a bit more to sort of discuss here. I uh, I I didn't like the production design. Of this, despite the fact that the the sets were were pretty lovingly recreated, my issue with this film is the over reliance on CGI, and I can't tell what was production design and what was CGI at times, and I think that is maybe going to hurt it. It's up against All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar: The Way of Water, Babylon, and The Fablemans. And frankly, I would put Avatar The Way of Water in a similar boat of Elvis of I don't know what is real and what is not. So how can you call it production design? Um, so I uh, this is a really hard one for me to classify. I'm calling it a dark horse, uh, despite the fact that I think if I was personally voting for it, it would probably be my number four movie. Yeah, I mean, I think my number one here is Babylon. Um, pretty, pretty convincingly Babylon, I think. Um, you know, I think... Talk, talking about it like that way, I think Elvis would probably be number two or three, right? Depending on where you want to put All Quiet on the Western Front, um, right? Um, I think Fablemans, you know, wow, they recreated a I, to quote to quote Jeff from last episode, wow, they recreated a high school, right? Um, <laughs> so I mean, I don't think uh, I don't think I think I don't know why the Fablemans is here, frankly. Um, but you know, Elvis and and Avatar. I mean, Avatar obviously had a lot of production going into it, right? Um, and I will say there was there was some set pieces for for the Elvis bit that that seemed good. Yes, there was CGI, but I think you know, again, it, it still they still have to be on a set to film this, right? So. I think it's like a dark horse, probably, probably like number three, um, realistically. But I think Babylon, uh, maybe all quiet or the front runners here. Okay, John. Yeah, agreed. Um, this is a dark horse uh, for the reasons mentioned. You know, the the, the CG bias uh, against it, uh, which you know hurts Elvis and Avatar. Um, Babylon and All Quiet on the Western Front, I think, are tied uh, for front runner status, uh, and I I don't know who who it's going to be. Um, because, you know, All Quiet on the Western Front has the advantage of having other above-the-line nominations, including Best Picture. Um, Babylon, though, that 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 set and every scene is just so complex and, and just adds to the excess uh, that the movie is per, uh, portraying. Uh, so if I absolutely had to pick, uh, I, I would pick Florencia Martin for Babylon. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, all right, let's move on to best cinematography, and this is a interesting category for sure, and one I'm not totally happy about. Um, we've got All Quiet on the Western Front, Bardo, obviously Elvis, Empire of Light, and Tar. We've got two films in this category that receive no nominations anywhere else, and that's Bardo and Empire of Light. And so, what sort of a wrench does that throw into everything? I love the cinematography of All Quiet on the Western Front and Tar. Those are two of my my tops of the year if I was uh, creating my own ballot. And once again, like I was saying with uh, with production design for, for the cinematography here, what the hell? That, like... There's so much CGI in this movie. Like everything of the like the the hotel scenes and like the cameras like flying up. I'm like, what the hell is this nonsense? None of this matters. This is all ridiculous. None of it is real. I'm just angry about this movie. I think, <sighs> guys, hey, I Dakota, <sighs> you need to go back and listen to the episode that I had with Jeff uh, where we talked about how it's not that bad a movie. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Oh my god, no. <laughs> I, I, I was I, yelling at my into my earphones listening to the you guys talk about that where I'm just like, no, it is that bad. 
that said, I think it's a long shot because, like I, I was sort of alluding to, the wrench of Bardo and Empire of Light, I think it basically invalidates both of them that they have no other nominations anywhere else. And so that puts Elvis in a very strong third. And so who do you have as the who do you have as the first two? Oh, I, I would have All Quiet and Tar as my as my one and two. Interesting. Oh, and that is interesting because yeah. I, I I would say that uh, Mandy Walker with Elvis is a very strong dark horse. Um, oh no! Uh, I, I for several reasons. Um, I mean, James Friend uh, is the favorite for All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, he's probably going to win it, but. He doesn't have that American Society of Cinematography nomination, and even though this is uh, a foreign film, uh, so that you know hurts the stock in the ASC. Uh, usually, that a nomination there is, is is you need a nomination there to to, to get a win. Um, the Mandy Walker with Elvis though has a good story. For one thing, she's what the fourth woman cinematographer to get nominated ever. Uh, third or fourth, I, I'd, I'd have to look that up. No uh, uh, woman cinematographer has won uh, best o- Oscar, um, so th- this would you know kind of be groundbreaking if Mandy Walker were to secure a win here. Um, and and cinematography is the best part of Elvis. Uh, if if you know, if I'm really looking for something to like about it, hey, Austin um, Butler, Austin <laughs> Butler is right there. We just talked about. Oh, him. sure, sure, Austin Butler. Uh, <laughs> accent whatever um so yeah uh, but i mean the the only other um asc nominees is roger deakins with empire light and uh, darius kanji with bardo but uh the, those are long shots uh because those are the only two nominations and you have to go back to 1949 um to uh john ford's uh, she wore a yellow ribbon to find a best Oscar cinematography with no other nominations anywhere else. Wait, didn't didn't uh, didn't Roger Deakins get BAFTA and Critics' Choice? Well, I um, oh, you went within I, the Oscars. Within yeah, the Oscars. yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the nomination at the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Empire of Light and Bardo only their, their only Oscar nomination is uh, for cinematography. So that eliminates them too. Um, Tar, I, I, I could see, but I, I put that in third, but, uh, Mandy Walker winning for Elvis, uh, just because she got nominated for the ASC and the British Society of uh, Cinematographers and the BAFTAs and the BAFTAs, um, she's well poised to, to be the favorite, uh, to, to, uh, nail this. So, so I, I'm going front runner slash strong dark horse here. (sighs) So the hood is shaking his head for you listeners <laughs> right now. Um, I mean, this this is the type of category where I'm fully fine with picking the wrong answer uh, on my Oscar ballot. I mean, I literally cannot. I literally don't know how to rank these guys. I mean, the fact that Darius Khan is sure, right? Like the logic of like, okay, they don't have any other nominations anywhere else. So that kind of disqualifies them. But I mean, you also look, right? Like Mandy Walker has never even been nominated for an Oscar before, right? Which again, makes for a good narrative. Mm-hmm. But I think cinematography tends to be kind of like a an old boys club, um, pardon the phrase, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I mean, you know, Roger Deakins is a perennial favorite, right? Um, you know, Darius Kanji has been nominated before, right? Um mm-hmm. No, Tar doesn't ha- doesn't have that to their name. Though personally, I actually think Tar again. I haven't seen Bardo um, or Empire of Light yet, um, but from from what I see, Tar that probably was my favorite cinematography of what I've of the three I've seen so far, actually, um, in this category. So 
I don't know. I, I like John's reasoning for why maybe they might push for Mandy Walker to get in there. Um, this is just like a really weird category, like you said, to try to predict. So I don't know. Long shot, dark horse. I don't know. Don't 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 look at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because previous cinematography winners, which we really don't have this year, but the, the the movie is just elevated so much with the cinematography. You know, I'm thinking of uh, Roger Deakins with 1917 and Blade Runner 2049. Uh, and, and there's, you know, the, I, I just don't feel from this crop of cinematography nominees that there's that, uh, you know, obvious winner that right. there usually is, um, you know, Alfonso Caron with Roma, what was such a beautifully shot film. It should uh, have been lighthouse. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, uh, front runner slash strong dark horse for Elvis. It's, it's somewhere yeah. between front runner and just happy to be there. I have no idea where that is. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's fair. So so brave of you to uh, predict that, Paolo. <laughs> All right, let's move on to best makeup and hairstyling. Uh I uh I I think they did a, a pretty good job with uh Austin Butler, you know. It it looks like he he probably just styled his hair a certain way and that's all he did but no they actually did a little bit of prosthetic work to make his jawline more elvis like obviously the hair is a key factor and then of course you've got the tom hanks thing where yeah he looks ridiculous because it just looks like tom hanks in a fat suit but you know that still was work that they had to put in on him to make him look older than he actually is with all the like um the the, the skin marks i forget what they're called um but uh it has a lot of hair and makeup in this, and especially just doing period stuff of making it because we know exactly what that period looked like and that we can reference it to, you know, Elvis live performances, Elvis movies, things like that, where it's not only him, but everyone around him has to look a certain way. And I also sort of like that they did a, a really good job of like showing Elvis's older generation. And then once he like hooks up with the producers, the sort of younger hippie generation and sort of how those two styles clashed with each other. This is a this is a bit of a strong category, I think, in, in my opinion. You know, the the whale is the front runner for this, but we've also got All Quiet on the Western Front, The Batman, and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um I think it's a very strong dark horse, but the whale is definitely the one to beat in this category. John, hey, don't don't forget the Tom Hanks fat suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say, yeah, I agree. It's a dark horse. I think uh, the whale, right? Like, I think the Oscar just tends to go for the prosthetic uh, look and the much more obvious prosthetic look, a lot more so than than others, especially if it's yeah. well done. Um, you know, which one is that? I'm thinking of the Churchill movie, Darkest Hour. I think, mm, um, yeah. kind of like yeah. as a comparison for this one. So, I think that's probably where they would go with the whale. Um, you know, honestly, I would say I was lower on All Quiet than you two, but I would say the makeup and like putting the grime and the dirt on them was probably the highlight of the film for me. So I would not mind yeah. seeing All Quiet getting it in there, but I think uh, it's probably going to be the whale. But I think, and I think, I think Elvis is probably the number two dark horse. Oh, interesting. Uh, of the many things that made me uncomfortable watching All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, one of the top was that makeup job. Uh, I was like, just mm. just clean your face of that mud. Um, <laughs> I, I'm so glad it got recognized. Uh, All Quiet is one one of my favorite movies this year. Um, but having said that, Elvis is a is a dark horse. Um, for for makeup, it did win two uh, makeup and hairstyling guild awards. However, it didn't win the key one. 
that one belongs to the whale. Uh, the the, the mm-hmm. one with the most predictive validity with the uh, MUA awards, the makeup and hairstyling awards, is uh, special effects makeup. And that went to the whale. So I, I, I think that will translate to an Oscar win, yeah. putting Elvis as the number two in, in Dark Horse territory. Yeah. And you, li- you literally could not do a story about the whale without a good prosthetic job, basically. Exactly, and yeah, and and, and yeah, and the prosthetics in the whale is, is just uh, astronomically good. Um, so, mm-hmm. and I, I do want to go on a tangent. Speaking of Elvis, um, the most disappointing thing about that film is that there's no peanut butter anywhere in that film. Where is his fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches? I know, I know. I, I saw zero peanut butter, and I am still bitter about it. <laughs> oh, great! Now I know what I want yes. for lunch now. <laughs> oh yeah, making making a good Elvis sandwich that that's key. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's move on to best costume design. We talked about this a bit with everything everywhere, and Paulo alluded that this was his front runner, and uh, and for me, it's also the front runner. They they very uh, lovingly recreated a lot of his classic iconic outfits, and I think that really is going to count for something because we know what. Elvis in Vegas is supposed to look like with the capes, with the rhinestones, all that sort of stuff. And they did such a good job with it. I think that really is going to count for something. And in considering it's, it's nominees, I think it probably stands the best chance because like John, you were saying Ruth Carter has already won for a black Panther film. And yes, she is doing different stuff. We get a lot of the same vibe through it uh, for both. Uh, and so for that, I think it's going to be an Elvis win Paulo, do you want to sort of elaborate on your your previous comments of, of why you also think it's yeah, a front runner? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 more or less like what you just said, right? Like it's, it's a lot of the classic looks, which we all kind of know and recognize brought to life, right? I mean, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, like you mentioned, John, is like a period piece about fashion, right? But also like who like who's actually seeing the Seeing, seeing the film if we go with by elvis's old people catnip this is going this is going to overperform <laughs> um babylon i think had really good costumes but i think the the film was also just kind of critically mixed basically where like they, they maybe might be reluctant to award it um though i still have it taken production um but i think like the costumes in elvis were a lot more standout than the costumes were in in babylon right and you know yeah. black panther i mean you know you do have new costumes from the um, from the underwater people whose name I can never remember, um, right? You do have like that new costume element of it, but again, a lot of the costumes were the same costume from before, right? So I, I, it all yeah. tracks basically. Uh, Elvis is my number one here. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said before, I, I in my Oscar pool, I'm, I'm going no guts, no glory, and Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, but um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, Elvis is front runner slash dark uh, slash strong dark horse here. Okay. Interesting. All right, let's move on to the next category, Best Film Editing. And once again, my anger of Best Production Design and Best Cinematography continues on to here as well with uh, – this the editing of this movie feels a lot like Bohemian Rhapsody. Obviously, it's not as awful – as that movie was with its editing. And, it, and Bohemian oh Rhapsody won. Therefore, if it's not as I awful know. as Bohemian uh. Rhapsody, this one should win. <laughs> my my conspiracy theory of Bohemian Rhapsody is they gave it to that because it was such a hot mess. They're like, here's an award for just making some sense of this 
friggin' movie. Uh, and, and Elvis, I, I feel so sort of similar where I imagine ba- Baz Luhrmann the whole time was like, we'll shoot everything. We'll get angles of everything. I want a million takes of everything. And the editor just like, okay, how do I put this thing together now uh, into a somewhat cohesive movie? And they almost manage that. Um, but the bloat of this movie, uh, much like the bloat of Elvis later on, uh, is undeniable. And, uh, oh boy, this is a, a long shot for me. Uh, John, let's start with you. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a long shot for me too. Um, you know, I, 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 I do, well, maybe, maybe I should, uh, based on Paul's comments about sound, I, I should probably put this yeah. in, in dark horse, but, uh, it's such it's a weak dark horse uh this is top gun mavericks uh statue yeah i mean I'll, I'll talk about this and editing together since that's the other category it's nominated and then the reason i'm putting it in second place i mean again top gun is clearly going to be the winner it's the more popular film and if you if you if you, you know sir elvis was popular especially among old people top gun was even more popular right um and top gun also has superior sound and editing so you know top gun's going to win these two categories um again elvis in Looking at the ecosystem of the awards, yes, it's it is technically my dark horse just because it also has editing and sound, and that's the predictive power of that. In isolation, I would say probably editing. It's not as high, and sound it's also not as high. But the fact that both of them are there, I mean, sound and editing go hand in hand when you're putting a film together. Um, that it just kind of that's just how it's worked out historically, basically. So. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. I will sort of go right into uh, sound as well. I think it has a better shot at sound than it does editing because that they managed to. What was the one of the other few impressive parts of it was the music, and I don't mean the uh, egregious uh, music choices that uh, they use in the soundtrack. I mean the merging of Austin Butler and Elvis's voice to harmonize together. So that way it sort of seems seamless where we go, Oh yeah, that sounds like Elvis, but you know, it also still sort of sounds like the actor himself is singing. And I think what they did there was quite impressive of combining that. And so I would call best film editing a long shot, but I would call best sound a dark horse. Uh, Obviously you both seem very high on, on top gun for both of those categories. Um, but do you have anything else you sort of want to add there, John, since, since Paulo already talked a bit about oh, sound? Sure. Um, well, I mean, speaking of catnip uh, for the older voters, uh, Top Gun Maverick did win the AARP Movies for Grownups Award uh, for Best Picture. <laughs> so uh, he, he, he is on to something. Um, but uh, right. Uh, Top Gun is, is going to win sound. Uh, you know, uh, military war movies – we have two nominees basically with uh, all quiet on the Western front and Top Gun Maverick. Those routinely do well, but Top Gun Maverick sound, uh, it, it, it wouldn't be the blockbuster that it is and the critical darling that it is without the sound design, the sound editing. So uh, a clear front runner for Top Gun and making Elvis the, the dark horse. Yeah. Have you watched Top Gun in an IMAX screen that with the seats rumbling from the ends and takeoff? Oh, I, I'm so sad because our Regal 40X theater here in D.C. Uh, is closing down as part of the bankruptcy uh, that Regal oh, no. uh, did. So I, uh, we, we, we did not get a chance to do that, and, and I'm sad that uh, in the future uh, we, we won't be able to have a close theater to do that. But no, I, I, I'm sure that was absolutely amazing with all the flight uh, scenes. and uh, that, that, I, I love those type, type of uh, movie screenings. 
Yeah. All right. So then to wrap up the category there or, or the, the film in general, I have Elvis at zero to one wind with the one win coming in best costume design. But I can also sort of see this movie going home completely empty handed. Paula, what about you? Yeah, I mean, empty handed is the most likely scenario. Um, actually, maybe one, right? For for um, now that I'm thinking about it, they'll probably take one in costume. It could go as high as three, right? If uh, Austin Butler is able to somehow sneak a win, and if it's somehow able to sneak a win for uh, production design over Babylon, so one to three, but more more realistically, one. Um, it could very well be zero. Um, so yeah, yeah, I. I think one is in play. Um, now I don't know which one, so don't ask me which one. Uh, but but I, I think Elvis goes away with one win. Okay. Or hey, it could be cinematography. So who knows? Right. I I mean I I, I think it's going to be the one in cinematography. But you know if if it's one in costume design and not cinematography, then you know I, I still look smart. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our last film we're going to talk about today and that is women talking This film has two nominations, and that is just for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay, written by Sarah Pauly. So this is going to be a really short one. Uh, start with Best Picture. I, I really love this movie. It's not uh, on the top of my ballot, but it's one I still really appreciate it. Uh, unfortunately, the fact that it's only got two nominations and, and really isn't winning a lot, it is it is the definition of, of just happy to be there. And uh, I, I'm so happy for Sarah Pauly and, and the rest of the team that are, are getting a bit of love from the Academy. But yeah, this, this movie has zero chance of winning. There is no path for it to win Best Picture in the slightest at all. Paulo, agree, disagree. What are your thoughts? Agree. Um, I have to pull the stats again, but I, I'm pretty I, – I can't remember the last time there was like one of those like only one – above the line nomination and ending up winning best picture. I'll, I'll go back and pull that stat and send it to you, Dakota. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's just literally happy to be there. Like it was almost I, I, very few people actually predicted they actually get nominated at the end of the day. I think most people were saying the whale, maybe get in Babylon, maybe get in over mm-hmm. it, over it. Um, heck even living. Some people were saying would get in over it at that point, just because the, uh, the, the, the support, the acting categories for, um, woman talking kind of had fell, fallen by the wayside um, in the precursor. So, I mean, the fact that it got in, it's literally probably was number 10. Yeah. John? No, I, I agree. It, it's happy to be there, which, which is unfortunate, um, but uh, it, it, it's happy to be there. And I, I wonder, and, and I, I think you're right that it's the 10th spot. It took the 10th spot. Um, but gosh, it wasn't very long ago, you know, early October. Um, if you're looking at front runners, it was the Fablemans, women talking and everything, every all, all at once in that order. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's amazing how far, uh, women talking ha- has fallen. I, I, I think, I mean, it's based on the book women talking, but I can't help but wonder if it was titled differently. Um, if, if it mm. would have gotten more, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, an industry push or because the, the title women talking it, it sounds like a, a, a movie 
in a parody sitcom that you know uh, pretentious cinephiles are going to go see at, at, at you know a private <laughs> screening, right? You know, uh, I, it, I, I can't. I I still think that you know women talking isn't its real title. <laughs> I I think a better title probably would have. Uh, I, not to say that you know the title is the only thing that matters in a movie, but I. I I, I think it could have probably served to change the title from the book uh, source material uh, because, yeah. you know, it's, mm. it's, it, I think it's beautifully written. Um, but uh, with, with everything everywhere all at once and even Top Gun and all, all these, you know, blockbuster type, uh, this is just too small of a scale to, to make any kind of splash in this picture. Yeah. Uh, on one of my episodes I had earlier this year, one of my guests uh, with me, uh, he mentioned that he thought the reason he thought it wasn't doing as well at, at the precursors and so on was because, I mean, people know the film is a tough watch, right? It's about a very difficult subject and so on. It's a, kind of a bit of a downer, frankly speaking. Um, and so like the fact that, that, that people kind of know that going in means they probably left it off until the very end to watch and just people weren't watching it even if they had the screeners um yeah, over the more point. lighthearted stuff to, yeah, that that's they would a good point want to watch first and 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 that's yeah. an interesting point because you know you see like the shorts categories uh, it's never the heaviest one that wins it's always that you know mixture of comedy and drama that that wins yeah so it's four really dark depressing films and then the winner is the one lighthearted right one. right but not the comedy Lighthearted. There's a no, difference. <laughs> no, yes, lighthearted. Yes, yeah. Uh, I I think you know it's sort of interesting if 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 we're talking preferential ballots, I would not be shocked if the people that put Tar number one probably have women talking as number two on their ballots. Hmm. But is there enough of those people? Hmm, that's an interesting thought. Uh, I don't know actually. That that's a good thought. It might be it might be better than number ten at the end of the day in terms of actual yeah. voting, right? Um, I think maybe like Triangle of Sadness is a little bit more weird for American audiences, so maybe that like puts it down technically to number ten, right? Um, but I mean, I still don't see I still don't see this more than like number eight uh, at the end of the day in terms yeah. of rankings. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to its uh, other nomination and that is for best adapted screenplay it is based on a novel by miriam taves a canadian writer uh the book is of the same name i really loved her last um movie adaptation which was a, a movie called all my puny sorrows uh that was a great canadian film but we've got sarah Paul, sarah Pauly who who wrote the screenplay adapted it and uh you know, we were talking with original screenplay, how stacked of a category that is. I would say adapted screenplay is on the complete flip side where I think it's overall a pretty weak category. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front doesn't really have a ton of dialogue. And in, in, we, we mentioned in original screenplay, dialogue is one of the key factors. Glass, Onion, and Knives Out Mystery. While it was a, I, I quite enjoyed it. It definitely did not receive the same accolades that the first Knives Out received. Living, a movie I quite enjoyed, seems to be also a, a little bit divisive in terms of of people comparing it to the original. Also, check out the latest episode of ContraZoom where we uh, compared Ikaru to Living, uh, and then Top Gun Maverick, which is a, a, a huge head scratcher of why the hell did this get nominated in this? I category can explain when, Top Gun. Um, I, last last week you were. Okay. Last week you were confused about Top Gun. Uh, with, okay, so Top Gun, right? One, it's an adaptation. Two, right? I think yes. in terms of actually as a screenplay, as a story, it does a very good job of what I love in the screenplay. Think about the John Wick screenplay, right? Like, sir, it doesn't have the best screenplay, but it basically encapsulates what needs to be a good screenplay, the John Wick story, right? You have, like, man, 
uh, he has a dog, he has to get the dog back. And then the screenplay isn't just obviously right, like the, the dialogue, it's also kind of like the setup and everything and how it goes about that. And it flows very naturally. Now, obviously, a lot of that is the editing that goes into it as well. Top Gun has that, right? Like it sets up the stakes very well early on. This is the mission we need to do. And then it faces the problem, right? You have to like overcome this particular mission and it's nearly impossible to do, but then he so they so not tell how it actually is possible, basically. And then they end mm-hmm. up actually resolving it at the end with you know a little bit more of a twist and so on, right? Now, the other part about Top Gun that actually makes it a pretty good screenplay is the metaphor it has for the movie industry, right? Where yeah. it's kind of like that allegory of Hey, you know, we could be doing it this way, you know, the studio system and everything's automated and green screen and whatever. But no, top like Tom like like Tom Cruise and Maverick are going to stand and be the romantic pilot who does it the old school way of flying pilots. It's kind of the same way of, of movie stars doing their own stunts. That's the screenplay. I think that 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 metaphor part of it is what I think elevates that screenplay and why the Oscar voters like it. So for that reason, actually, I have Top Gun as my number two, maybe number three. Uh, uh, nominee here. I think all quite on the Western front, people are giving a lot of flack for kind of missing the point of the original novel to some degree. Um, aside from the war is hell, but like it, it added a lot of stuff and whatnot that that people felt take away from the original novel. I can't speak about living, but I don't think it, it has enough of an impact just because of the botched release schedule from Sony. Um, and then Glass Onion, right? It is, I think, the more popular film. Um, it does have like the witty Ryan Johnson dialogue, the kind of like the structure and the setup I think is really well done, even though it's not as acclaimed as the first one, still very well done. That said, I think Woman Talking is all that to say. I still think Woman Talking is the hands down favorite um, for the screenplay. Between you know, it's very dialogue heavy, right? I mean, it's literally in the title, Woman Talking, right, and kind of setting up the stakes and story of it. Um, but again, I would not be surprised if, if Top Gun comes in as a dark horse to to still the way. But I think Woman Talking is still the very clear favorite. Yeah, me too. Um, Sarah Pauly and, and Women Talking is, is the front runner here, um, and but you know, not to discredit Top Gun Maverick, it does have a USC Scripter nomination, uh, which was a surprise uh, there too. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, Women Talking is the front runner. I think Living, the source material is Kurosawa. Ishiguro is, mm-hmm. is a great scriptwriter. Um, so I, I would say living is the uh, number two, uh, but, uh, a, a far behind number two to, uh, Sarah Polly. Yeah. I, I have women talking as a front runner as well, but it is a very soft front runner. And that's because I, I think this category is overall fairly weak, but I'm not too sure who the other competitors are. Maybe like you were talking about there, Paulo with, the reason why Top Gun Maverick might be considered uh, stronger than I personally believe it is living maybe because it is, uh, you know, has a very uh, uh, prolific writer behind it in Ishiguro. Um, or maybe they want the witty dialogue of Glass Onion. I don't know. So th- this is a bit of a confusing category to predict and, and one that we might see a bit of an upset for. But I have uh, Women Talking as a soft front runner for me too. I will also say the fact that Women Talking did get Best Picture with only one nomination, that nomination being screenplay. So it's just how much, again, the screenplay division, right? But the fact that that yep. screenplay is so well regarded means that I think elevates a little bit higher as well. So the fact that it's its only nomination and still got Best Picture means that there's really something special about this screenplay. I think that's yeah, fair. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so to wrap it all up, uh, obviously it's only two nominations. It's a it's a zero to one win for me, um, and I think we're all sort of in agreement on this, right? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, I think it gets the one win. 
Agreed. Uh, it, okay. Yeah, it comes away with a one. Yep, as many wins as Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd be okay with that, I guess, um, because the, the the batting percentage for women talking versus Elvis would be much stronger. <laughs> All right, that was a, a fantastic episode. Uh, I'm so happy I, I got the two of you on together because I know you're both big stats nerds. And so the two of you being able to like fire off all this information about uh, previous nominations, precursors, historical tr- uh, trends, all that sort of stuff, I think is made for a really interesting and dynamic discussion. So I really appreciate both of you coming on today. Oh, well, thank you for having us. Uh, th- th- this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, Dakota. It's always a pleasure to come on. And actually, I think I'm going to have John on actually uh, another epi- like my my my, my winner prediction episode in a couple of weeks. Uh, we still have to schedule that. But uh, look, if you want more of our banter, you can look forward to that as well. Oh yeah, I'll be bringing my Mrs. Harris to Paris to that discussion too. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited for that. Uh, where can people follow you, and what are you working on, Paulo? I know you sort of alluded to a little bit earlier, but uh, give a shout out of your socials and, and what uh, what you got coming down the pipeline. Yeah, so I, you know, I have the Oscars Death Race podcast. Um, technically, on Twitter, I don't use it that much, um, but it's Oscars the Racecast um, on on Twitter. Um, uh, and then, you know, I, I go over, you know, during Oscar season, I go through. Uh, like it says, the Oscars death face trying to watch everything. Uh, it looks like we're all going to finish up this year, so that's great. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, I also do a weekly podcast called uh, the Box Office Watch, where you know every week I go over box office numbers, see who's doing well, what it kind of says about the box office industry. Um, so, for example, right, like if you're trying to watch Living or The Whale in theaters, probably should do that soon because they're starting to lose theaters. I think they're less than like 500 theaters each or something um, this coming weekend. So definitely want to catch that uh, if in theaters if you haven't already. Um, but yeah, just the Box Office Watch podcast. That's B.O. Watts podcast. Um, on all the places, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Play, if that's still a podcast thing. Uh, I'm sorry, Nicole, will link them all uh, in the show notes. Um, and then I also have my letterboxed uh, Ninja Boy, Boy with an I, um, where you can see me fin- finishing Death Race in real time. Mm-hmm. And John, what about you? Uh, what do uh, what do you have going on, and and what would you like to promote here? Oh, sure, yeah, I, I'm at uh, redcarpetrosters.com, uh, where you can sign up for leagues. Uh, you can also follow my blog, where I offer uh, fantasy advice, as long with uh, betting on the Oscars advice. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter uh, at redcarpetrosters, but it's uh, spelled R S T R S, so Red Carpet Rosters, where Rosters has no vowels. Uh, and, uh, that's where you can find me. And I'm also on discord. Uh, so if you, uh, sign up for a league, uh, I'll give you a link to the discord for our, uh, uh discord chat. Um, and I can be found there too. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. I'm definitely going to be hosting another league, uh, next for next Oscar season as well. So, nice. uh, yeah, if you, if you say subscribe to my feed, I'll probably announce that during the off season, whenever that happens. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to uh, maybe have you on before uh, the season starts, and that way you can do a little pre-promotion as well over here. Oh, yeah, and offer some draft advice. Uh, I I think the uh, pre-draft rankings did pretty well for some people, not so good for others. So, uh, (laughs) But, but yeah, we we, we can uh, hash out all those uh, pre-draft Oscar fantasy advice uh, uh, next year. 
Yeah, I'd be very curious to see a bit of a postmortem on uh, on your rankings versus how the drafting actually went in versus final result. I'd be very curious about uh, about how that data all sort of parses out. Oh, absolutely. All right, this has been a That Shelf podcast. Visit thatshelf.com for more great film discourse. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. How do you think Everything Everywhere, Elvis, and Women Talking will do at the Oscars? Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smell for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you really like the show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out.